Welcome and thank you to joining another episode of The Deep End, Conversations in the Global Talent Pool. I'm very excited by our guest today, Kevin Parker, Chairman and CEO of HireVue. Kevin, thanks so much for spending time with us in The Deep End. Jeff, delighted to be here. Well, listen, I, I'm so glad uh, that we got a chance to spend some time together. I have been an early adopter and user of, of HireVue for years, uh, and so it's great for, to have you to share some stats and some best practices and tips with us. So why don't you update us a little bit right now? People probably know the platform for any number of things, video interviewing, scheduling, on-demand, live, but give us an idea of where your footprint is today, the kind of volume that you're uh, taking on, and maybe what's changed both pre- and post-pandemic. So great question. We're, we've HireVue's been around for about 17 years now, and things have changed a lot. We're a day or two away, I think, at this point for from completing our, our 23rd millionth interview. Wow. So we, we interviewed, we've interviewed about 23 million people around the world. We, today, we interview about a million people every 60 days for our customers. And we do that in over 40 languages uh, and over 180 countries around the world. Um, so very broad footprint. And uh, it's exciting to see every day when, when the statistics come in of how many customers interviewed how many candidates yesterday. Now that's it is amazing, and of course the pace of hiring that we've seen lately uh, is pretty significant. When we think about some of the key stats that you have, um, you know, are there good days, bad days, good times, bad times? What are some of the things that people need to think about, especially keeping pace with the the war for talent that's in place today? So speed matters, and I think probably the one of the most overused expression is the war for talent. It's not a war; it's a race, and if you're slow, you're going to lose. Uh, particularly in today's environment, job candidates come on and off the market. It seems like I'm almost overnight. So speed matters. Consistency matters too. And our customers are very focused on using our platform and our demand platform to deliver great interviews. The, the questions matter. And we all know the value of structured interviewing, yet as humans, we're terrible at it. We're just we're just awful. But when you can ask 100, 1,000, in some cases, 10,000 people exactly the same questions, exactly the same way, you get much better results and consistency drives fairness. No, that, that's, that's really interesting to hear. I, you're right. It's kind of a war of attrition, right? I don't know if the war for talent ever ends. If people want to drop out from battling for talent, good for them, better for us, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. uh, and you're right. The, the, the speed absolutely matters. Uh, structured interviews, absolutely. When you think about scoring uh, the, that type of talent, though, uh, you know, are you seeing any particular things around uh, biases that now come up with video or recording uh, in regards to some of the structured interviews and even the, the uh, again, the scoring of the hiring managers are taking on? So it's, it, it's a great question. We put a lot of effort and a lot of care into understanding how the candidate is answering the question. What we're really looking at and really understanding is the spoken words that they use transcribed through natural language processing. And so we ask good open-ended questions the way an interview should be. Tell me about a time you worked on a team. Tell me about a time you had to adapt to a situation. And over the course of tens of thousands of interviews, we have a pretty good scale of what adaptability looks like, what agility, the ability to work independent looks like. We can test all of that against very broad candidate pools to make sure we're not introducing any adverse impact, that we're, we're scoring people in a very consistent way. Certainly much better than people could do moving from interview to interview. But it's really that structured interview and then providing a, a, a good rubric uh, and a good analysis that helps us understand 
where you are uh, relative to others around some of these attributes customers are looking for. Yeah, I like that. You mentioned interview to interview, and I think that's different, obviously, in a virtual world or remote world versus on site. It leads me to maybe two thoughts or, or really a question, which is number one, uh, what do we lose even in video like this? So I'm, I'm waist up right now. And, you know, all the body language that we tend to see in a personal interview, what, what are some of the dynamics there? Number one. And number two, I always liked the hallway chats you know, bringing you from manager A to manager B and, and some of those unintended things that you would hear uh, because it was a bit more casual walking down the hall. Are we missing stuff in this more virtual and remote world? Uh, yeah, I think we, we, we certainly are aware of that. And remember, this is not instead of that. Generally, what we're doing is at the very in initiation of a, of a process, sort of in a get to know you kind of way to add to your... Um, Oh, sort of resume and add to your CV with some answers to some questions. CVs themselves have all kinds of bias associated with them. But, but some of that hallway chat and some of that, um, you know, sort of it brings a level of unfairness too. If, if it's great if somebody else, you strike up a conversation, a customer and I know recently said, look, I hired this person and I think it's because we talked about football. It's like, you know, if they if they have a lot of those things that that bring even unconscious bias into the process, in some ways, we might be better off without those things that, that you know, different and those things are not related to the job either. So it brings a level of unfairness uh, about the process that we actually think is is probably unhelpful. Sure, sure. Establishing some equity, I guess, quite honestly, yeah, when it comes exactly. to that. Absolutely. Uh, so also, again, if I think a little bit about uh, recorded live, and, and especially if we are face to face initially uh, before we meet on premise, let's say. Um, what about preparation for people to be ready for an interview online such as this, or even your background and what people can see that maybe speaks about you that you either intend or maybe unintend to see? Uh, is there coaching available for the candidates themselves, or do you help companies kind of script that preparation? So a good question. You know, the, the background, this isn't a screen test, right? So we're not, we're not looking at eye contact. We're not looking at, you know, what your background says about you or may or may not say about you. You want to be in a quiet place. You want to be able to devote the time to it. I think when it's done well, though, the candidates really can create some advantages for themselves that you couldn't do in an in-person interview. And I've seen pictures of, of people and seen people doing an on-demand interview with their screen covered with post-it notes about stuff they want to remember to talk about. You can stop in between questions and gather your thoughts. You can have notes in front of you. You know, you have practice questions. Many companies allow retries too. And so you can really turn this in an advantage and, and take away some of the artifice and stress associated with an in-person interview and really, you know, have a really enjoyable experience talking about yourself and being very well prepared. Uh, two, two other things I'd point to. One is that you can almost anticipate what the questions are going to be about in the job, job description. And today there's online bulletin boards about, you know, they asked me this question. And so you can be really well prepared for that. And then what we also encourage people to do is really think about their answer response. There's an old technique. This isn't higher view. This is old interviewing technique called the STAR technique, where you describe the situation, the task, your role, and a variety of things in a very, very structured way that really gives you an advantage as well. So I think, I think that the candidates really have an opportunity to turn the tables in their favor 
and take away some of the stress associated with, you know, perhaps the artifice of an in-person interview that some people may be good at and others may not be. Sure, you'd hate to lose great talent just because they were nervous or around an interview, and so many people are. Mm-hmm. So when you think a little bit about, um, when, uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I looked at a, it's old now, but the Philadelphia Orchestra had moved towards blind sessions. Uh, they had noticed that there was a bit of an issue around diversity and had wound up putting basically a, a large curtain screen and allowing people to play their instruments uh, without being actually seen. And there was a dramatic change in the types of uh, candidates, demographics of candidates that move through the process. We talked a little bit about some of the biases that we have here, but what about some of the other things that might come up around uh, generational gaps or the types of, of typical job description uh, functionality, let's say, around degrees or other things that we want to be able to um, we, weave through in this type of an interview platform? Sure. There's, there's you know, almost three categories of those biases, right? There's the conscious biases. We all want to make sure that don't creep into it. Then there's the unconscious biases. You know, I went to that college too. And, and so, you know, that brings into it. And then there's policy bias. You need an advanced degree. You need 10 years of experience associated with that. And I think companies are working to make sure they can reduce all of those components. The advantage of an assessment is the assessment is your, as you're answering the questions, doesn't know your gender. It's almost the equivalent of being behind that screen. It doesn't know your race, your age, your ethnicity. All it's looking for is the transcription of the words that you use. And if I ask a question about the ability to work independently, do you have those attributes in that answer uh, as part of that process? So I think it is a very level setting experience for us. There's another part of the process, I think, that in terms of bias that on-demand interviews really sort of get at for many customers. And recognizing if we're constrained to Monday through Friday, nine to five, about who we can interview, that immediately cuts out a large segment of the population. Mm -hmm. The fact that with HireVue, you can do an on-demand interview any hour of the day, any day of the week, really changes the candidate's perspective of that and really reaches more candidates than you ever could before. About 40% of our interviews take place outside of normal business hours. Saturdays and Sundays are big interview days for our customers. So a very different experience and, and it opens the process to more people. Yeah, 40% outside of business hours. It brings back those memories when I used to recruit before and after business hours when people were less likely to actually take a, a, a phone interview at work. Yeah, it sounds good. What about um, when you think about preparation and you said a couple times you're maybe encouraged to take uh, and record it one, two, three times. Um, what about people that need to really think through things? Again, maybe preparation around what, what types of questions might be asked or a lot of focus lately as well around neurodiversity, right? When you think about people along different areas of the spectrum and how they interpret and how they express themselves. Uh, is the platform a positive to them, neutral, uh, potentially uh, additional coachability there? So it's actually, a, from our perspective and from some constituency groups, a net positive benefit to them. Uh, you know, sometimes in, in their situation, 
even in-person interaction can be troublesome and difficult for them. So the fact that it's done remotely, you get to do retries and retakes uh, as often as, as you want, um, that really changes it. We also know that from some of our, our assessment technology, which is game-based in addition to answer-based, that they do quite well at those things. They have a, a, a focus and the ability to concentrate on those things in, in some cases that really gives them an advantage. So we've done a lot of work with different constituencies around it and found that, that people on the spectrum actually have, a, 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 in some ways, a better experience than perhaps traveling into an in-person interview. I, I could imagine. I know that obviously the pandemic has also opened up an opportunity to really stretch into remote or hybrid type work and, and, and bring more of those along the, uh, uh, the neurodiversity spectrum into the fold, which is just phenomenal. Um, you know, when I think a little bit about uh, pre-pandemic, dealing with a lot of companies that were looking at their campus footprint and... Uh, some of, some of the, these universities and colleges um, really to bolster their stats about who gets hired and at what levels of, of salary had started to move into this heavy sort of pay for pay to play uh, for space. And uh, obviously the, the pandemic disrupted that a bit, but did you see any changes uh, through the pandemic about the use of your platform to either extend maybe to different and more colleges and universities or people seem to be sticking to their knitting? And no, it's a great opportunity to expand it. And in some ways, you'd hate to see their campus outreach limited by the travel budget of the recruiting department. And that's in many cases what was. Uh, we interviewed, I think, something close to 1.2, 1.3 million college students last year alone on the platform. And we did that at over 2,400 colleges and universities around the world. So real strong outreach. And many companies saw this opportunity to go to new places, reach new talent. And, and they weren't just going to Ivy League schools or their, their anchor schools. I think the view is, well, if we're not gonna travel, that takes away the excuse from going to some of these other places. So real vibrant experience and recognize all of that happened virtually. No one was on campus. The students weren't on campus. The recruiters weren't on campus. The, you know, the schools were closed, yet 1.2 million, 1.3 million college students interviewed very successfully up for jobs. Now, interesting enough, I mentioned that, that uh, you know, 40% of interviews take place outside of normal business hours. The busiest day of the week for college interviews is Sunday evenings. And I don't know if it's just, you know, the normal student syndrome, I wait till the last minute, but Sunday evenings are a really popular night for students to interview. That's, that's, a, that's a great tidbit right there for sure. That's great. What about, um, what about uh, the, the, the bias, let's call it a bias, uh, as to whether or not this platform works well for localized hourly type hiring versus, let's say, uh, um, early entry career for college or professionals? What are the, some of the stats there and in, 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 in utilization of the platform for that type of labor? So about half of our volume last year was hourly. Uh, and so about 20% of it was college student, about half was hourly. And so okay. we, we do a lot of work for some of the major retailers uh, around the country. Uh, travel and tourism, hospitality were very big markets for us and continue to be very mar big markets. We have one customer that interviews today about 3,000 candidates per day across, okay. across 1,500 locations around the US. Now think about that for a moment. And in the normal experience, you'd be dealing with 1300 different store managers right. and all of the variability that they bring into that process is not helpful. Right. 
Now you're dealing with one set of questions, one set of evaluators, and you get a much different result. Uh, you know, I ex expect this this fall when we get to the the, the Christmas season, that same customer interviewed 50,000 people on a weekend. So that's that's sort of the value and the speed and the way that the experience changes in terms of sure. loss. No, that's great. I, I, I think about some of the clients I've dealt with in the past that oftentimes even overlook the fact that uh, uh, a closer location than the hiring manager themselves, uh, not thinking about their friend, you know, their, their cohort down the road, uh, would refer that person because it's just closer. It's always filling my positions versus, in this case, 3,000 a day. That's just amazing to, to think about, especially in the uh, dynamics that we have today. What about... Um, uh, I, I get this a lot. It seems to have come back significantly during the pandemic, but what about using QR codes to advertise how to get out there for an interview and get sort of the, the relative statistics and information that you need about a, a company's job openings? Boy, it's, it's, it's the rebirth of the QR code. It was, it's sort of a, it seemed like for a long time, it was the technology without a role and suddenly every <laughs> menu and every, you know, sort of cash register has a QR code apply for a job. Uh, and that has, I think, really been driven by one, we want to reach candidates any way we can. And so there's a, a sense of urgency around that. And two, that we've got to find a way to reach these people that isn't email centric. Uh, and so that if you're using email as your primary communication platform, particularly for hourly workers, you're gonna you're gonna lose out. We've got to transition to chat and chat-based engagement that can start with a QR code that can start with job discovery right from that QR code uh, and work on a mobile device the way that people work today, right? No one's, no one's on email. You know, I have an 18-year-old daughter. If I want to send her an email, I got to send her a text to say, go read your email. It's just not the way the world works today. Sure. Well, my inbox would not replicate that thought, but I understand definitely what you're talking about, especially with Gen Z. Uh, I have one we just dropped off for sophomore year and I have to do the same thing. I sent you an email, please check. <laughs> oh, so what about um, size and complexity of an organization? You know, I, I think about some of these great entrepreneurial smaller organizations that are just now in tremendous growth mode. And a lot of times they tend to think that these uh, types of tools and, uh, and, 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 and items that you've uh, are stored and tried and true are, are out of reach. Uh, is there an ideal threshold that you have to be at before using the platform? Or no, there isn't. And, and certainly we have some very large customers, but we also have a number of customers that would be classified as, as smaller, mid-sized businesses. Uh, part of what drives them is the focus on consistency, the speed and the ease of use. You know, you can have people interviewing any hour of the day. Um, and so if you've got enough volume, if you're trying to hire, if you've got uh, maybe a turnover issue and you're interviewing a lot of candidates, you know, you've got to you've got to let go of the, the old analog way of doing this and embrace the digital. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Kevin, when we think about uh, the number of, of, of uh, functional pieces that you have on the platform that are available today, um, what are what are some of the things that uh, you would encourage organizations to think about utilizing more? And, and the reason I ask is that usually any type of technology or, or service provider um, organizations usually don't turn on all the, the, the bells and whistles, quite honestly. Uh, so what would you think is maybe some of the underutilized pieces of the platform 
and why would it be important for them to activate? So great question. I appreciate the opportunity. Two new things, newer things that we've brought to market since the, the, the pandemic started in the last six months. Certainly that AI-driven chat, the ability to do job discovery, you know, text to apply all the way through to scheduling, all done on a mobile device is really dynamic and the speed and the, and the follow-up for candidates and our customers seeing really significant improvements over that. The second thing is a little more fundamental and we have a new product that we call Builder, uh, which was really designed to help companies even get the interview questions right. And so if you're thinking about competencies, well, what, what kind of questions should I ask about competency? And it's different for an entry-level job versus a senior leader. And so our IO psychology team really mapped out the competency framework, the questions you should ask, and then how to score the answers and almost a rubric to try and make us all better interviewers and, and bring some consistency to the process. I know I've done plenty of interviews as of you have as well. And you know, the you know, 10 minutes before the interview walks through the door, I'm searching for, okay, what am I going to talk about? What are the questions I want to know? <laughs> uh, and this takes away all of that variability and really builds great competency-based interviews that are this is very, very fast to deploy and brings a lot of structure in, in ways that wasn't there before. That's great. So if I think about your, your first of two points there and, and even adding that second point in, what's the role in the future or the future role of the recruiter? Because it just seems like technology is doing an awful lot. You can take away scheduling all you want from me. I, that was a bane of existence being a recruiter in that chair. But where do you now see a recruiter's role in the ecosystem of all this technology? Primarily around engagement, you know, you're going to take away all of that, um, you know, what we might describe as low value add activity, you know, phone calls, scheduling, trying to schedule in-person interviews and things like that, and really focus on explaining to the candidate why this is a company of choice, putting your employment brand out there, working with a diverse group of candidates in ways that you couldn't before. And so really focus on the real high value add components of that job. And as we take away and automate some of the lower value components. And I think that's, that's the trade-off we want recruiters to make. We're not trying to eliminate recruiters. They're an important part of this process. But if we can make the lives a little bit easier for both the candidate and the recruiter so they can intersect in a new way, that would be terrific. Yeah, that's great. Tech is an enabler rather than a replacement. And, mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that. There's, there's such a great story in a resume, and yet the resume, obviously, usually on its surface, does not explain it very well. And so the recruiter's uh, ability to bring it out after these types of assessments and interviews are done is, uh, is really fantastic. Well, when I think about uh, what would be the one or two things, if anything, that you might want to either uh, accentuate or leave our audience with as they uh, potentially look at their week ahead and what kind of uh, interview schedule and jobs that they're looking to fill are? So two, three, two or three things, I guess. One, I'll go back to that point of consistency drives fairness and, and it, it improves transparency in the process. Knowing that I'm getting asked the same questions that every other candidate got asked, I feel better about the experience and feel better about the process. Two, speed matters. And, and in, in the world that we live in, you know, it's still today, it's hard to believe, but the most common thing I think people hear uh, in, the, in the workplace today is, I applied and I never heard back. And that, that's a terrible experience. We have to design a process. Even if I don't get the job, I still deserve an answer. 
And three, I think, is opening up the process to as many people using technology to, to break down the barriers from nine to five in new ways. HireVue has been on this 17-year mission to democratize hiring, and that's really what we've been focusing on about taking away barriers. Uh, and in many cases, I think the customers don't, themselves don't know what the barriers are. They've never applied from that perspective. You know, I, I, I've gotten in this habit of everywhere I go, I'm snapping QR codes these days just to see <laughs> what the candidate experience is like. Some of it's awful. Some of it, I got this great QR code and then I dumped out on a website and I have to go search for a job. That's not the way that should work. Oh, those are great tips and tricks. I appreciate that. And I think you're right. If, if any company has not had the opportunity in their TA group to actually apply and feel that candidate experience, they're definitely missing out. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for jumping into the deep end with us. I uh, look forward to you joining us potentially in the future, especially with these numbers that you have and in such volume and great uh, information. And uh, for those of you watching, thanks for joining us again. I'm Jeff Dubisky, Workforce Logic's Chief Solutions Officer. This was the Deep End Conversations in the Global Talent Pool. Thanks again, Kevin. Thanks, Jeff.